Hello, this is Lafayette Faust, creator of the Nevermore Hollows podcast. Thank you for making the show a success. Please take a moment to subscribe, give five stars, comment, and share the show with your friends. It's the best way to help us grow and to be able to continue to provide quality horror content. Also, please support our new art director, Chris Madman Goins, at Black Sheep Studios TN on Instagram. He has some amazing Nevermore Hollows art for sale, signed by the both of us, as well as many other original pieces I think you're going to love. Now, for you horror hounds who like to have a good laugh, I invite you to check out my other podcast. It's called The Three Uncool Cats. In it, my two friends and I sit in a basement and discuss music, movies, and whatever else comes into our warped minds. I would really appreciate it if you would give it a listen. Now, with that out of the way, I invite you to sit back, turn on a light, and prepare yourself. Hello there. Welcome back to Nevermore, the town that the Grim Reaper seems to call home. You may be asking, why do the townsfolk stay if it's so dangerous to do so? Well, that's a difficult question to answer. It could be that they are suffering from absolute denial of the strange and macabre things that happen here. Or... Maybe they feel more alive here than anywhere else that may be safer. Some people seem to only experience the thrill of living when they are intimately entwined in a dance with death. Either way, they're here, and they have to learn to survive while keeping their sanity. Which brings us to tonight's story. I want to tell you about a man who made a gut-wrenching decision 18 years ago when he was a child. It was a decision that set him on a cowardly path through life after being visited by the Crawling Man, one of Nevermore's more nefarious monsters that specializes in making one question his sanity. As you know by now, I am Lafayette Faust, and I am the town's historian. I tell the stories that will hopefully make clear that there is true evil that runs rampant in this world and that its goal is to corrupt and devour us and that we must be vigilant with eyes wide open and be ready to stand and fight. So, with that, I ask that you sit back, turn on a light, and prepare yourself. I was nine years old the first time I saw the crawling man. I have seen him one other time over the years, and on both occasions he taught me that terror truly knows no limits. His second visit was more disturbing than his first, 
though both induced in me a madness so exquisite that my mind wanted to break. But he wouldn't let that happen. A broken mind often leaves a person in a catatonic state where no emotion is felt. He, however, uses his terror to push me just to the edge of breaking, but just at the moment when I beg for my mind to snap so that my suffering will end, he moves away. He moves away and leaves me in such soul-crushing despair. Terror can only exist when all hope is gone, and hope is something that I gave up on not long after he first came to me. I've become a shell of a man. No hope, no faith that the terror will end, no understanding of why he chooses to come to me. It was on the night of Freddy's seventh birthday. Freddy, my little brother, had fought sleep that night because he was hopped up on sugar from the huge chocolate cake and the fact that he wanted to play with all his new toys. Mom let us stay up till 10 o'clock because it was Friday and let us continue to talk after we were in bed as long as we were quiet. We lay in our bunk beds. I was on the top bunk and he on the bottom, quietly talking until 11 when Freddy finally crashed. I lay in bed thinking about the upcoming weekend, looking forward to my dad coming home from a business trip that he'd been on for the past week. Mom was already asleep, no doubt fatigued due to the planning and hosting Freddy's birthday party that included 25 kids all running, playing, screaming, and laughing throughout the house for three hours. After a while, I realized I had to use the bathroom, and I slipped from under my blanket and stepped out into the hallway. Mom kept the house dark at bedtime, even when Dad was away, with only a tiny light on in the kitchen which cast a feeble glow down the hallway. The bathroom was easy enough to find in the dark house because it lay halfway down the hall on the left. I was looking down at the floor as I exited my bedroom, but as I turned to walk toward the bathroom, I looked up and that is... that is when the crawling man first made himself known to me. At first I didn't understand what I was seeing. The feeble yellow glow from the kitchen backlit him as he slowly crawled toward me. A beam of moonlight poured in from the window in the bathroom and pooled in the floor about halfway between me and the crawling man. It nearly, but not quite, illuminated his face as he pulled himself closer. I thought that maybe somehow Freddy had gotten up without me seeing him, that he had been at the cake Mom had left on the table and was now sneaking back down the hall to the bed. But after a couple of heartbeats, I realized that the thing that was creeping toward me was much bigger than seven-year-old Freddy. It was big and slow and extremely misshapen. It was spidery in how it used its appendages to crawl, yet serpentine in how its head slowly moved back and forth, side to side, as if it were trying to hypnotize me. I stood frozen in place as it crept closer to the pool of moonlight. As it did so, its face became illuminated just enough so that I could see that it was not really a man. It was more accurately a man-thing. I wanted to cry out to Mom. She was asleep in her room just to my right, but I found no voice. 
It was as if the serpentine movement of the crawling man's head had indeed hypnotized me to believe that I could not utter a sound. In fact, not only could I not create a whimper, I found that I had no control of any part of my body. The crawling man had me under a spell so powerful that he forced me to stand silent, wide-eyed witness to his creep in my direction. My heart pounded so hard my head ached. I realized I was shaking. The shaking was in great part due to the growing fear that was slithering its way through my mind. But it seemed that the crawling man swallowed up all the warmth in the hallway. I was so cold that my teeth were rattling together. They sounded like wind chimes made of human bone. Finally, he made his way into the moonlight and stopped. I don't know how I knew this, but he had stopped in the moonlight so that I could get a better look at him. It was that first gaze upon the crawling man that taught me the true meaning of terror. He crawled on abnormally long, sinewy arms and legs. The elbow and knee joints were gnarled and arthritically twisted. His torso was elongated and pale, calling to mind a sickening hybrid of human cadaver and praying mantis. His head was oblong and covered in fine, stringy hair. He paused there in the moonlight, compelling me to bear witness to his horrific form. His dark eyes fixed directly on mine, both of us unblinking. could see that the orifice that served as his mouth was silently moving. He tilted his head, allowing the moonlight to illuminate his face, and I could see that he was whispering. I could not hear what he was saying, but I could clearly see it was the same thing over and over, as if I were reading his deformed lips. It was a lethal question he was asking himself that also served as a dark threat. You or him, which will I get? I could not speak, but in my mind I screamed, Please, no, not me. He made me stand there in the dark hall as he whispered his threat from the pool of moonlight until one in the morning. Almost a full hour of soul-shattering terror. You or him, which will I get? He asked himself over and over, seemingly in deep consideration to which of our young souls would bring him the vilest pleasure. Please, no, not me. Just when I knew that I couldn't take another moment, another whisper, another threat, he began to slowly creep back toward the kitchen until I could no longer see him in the shadows. At the precise moment I could no longer see him, his spell on me was broken and I collapsed onto the floor, my mind reeling, heart racing, shivering, yet soaked in sweat, and I began to cry. I seemed to slip in and out of consciousness as I lay on the floor crying. After a while, my mom ran into the hallway, flipped on the lights, and knelt beside me, cradling me, softly shushing me, telling me it was all right. What is it, honey? What's wrong? 
Her warmth seeped into me as she held me, consoling me with sweet words and stroking my hair. Did you have a bad dream? Finally, my sobbing subsided enough that I could speak. With trembling breath, I said, It was terrible. As those words escaped my mouth, I could feel myself starting to lose control again. My voice took on a pitiful, mewling quality. Oh, honey, it can't be that bad, my mother cooed. Tell me what happened. I can make it all better. I shook my head as I sobbed. Nothing would ever be able to make this better. I needed to go to the bathroom, I said between sobs. There was some horrible man thing that scared me. He was crawling. He was whispering he was going to get me or Freddy. He was going to get one of us. I saw the gentle motherly concern on her face for me metamorphose into a mask of fear. She stood, pulling me up off the floor with her. She held me close as she took a step toward the kitchen, clearly scared that someone had entered the house while we were sleeping. After a moment's hesitation, she hurried into the kitchen, flicked the lights on, and began looking for an intruder. When she saw no one, she checked the door leading to the back deck and all the windows. After ensuring that they were secure, she snatched a large carving knife from a drawer and began searching the house, turning on lights as she went. I stood in the kitchen, shaking until she got back. I can't find anyone, she said. She was still scared, not sure it was safe. Then she stiffened. Oh, my Lord, Freddy! We ran to the bedroom Freddy and I shared. Mom didn't even turn on the lights as she dropped beside his bunk. I could see him lying on his side as Mom leaned over and put her hand on his forehead. I drew in a calming breath now that everything seemed to be okay. Maybe it was just an awful, terribly vivid dream. As I exhaled that soothing breath, my mother began to scream. Freddy my brother, and her youngest son was dead. She snatched him from the bed and held his lifeless body close, wailing with profound anguish, and cried aloud, Why? As I stood witness to my mother's grief, I knew the answer as to why Freddie was dead. There was no doubt in my heart nor my mind as to why my little brother was dead instead of me. When the crawling man had been whispering what I thought was a question he was asking himself, he was in fact asking me. He had not been trying to terrorize me while he considered which one of us to take. He had been asking me which one of us he should take. My response to his question had ensured my brother's fate. The crawling man had taken my brother's soul because I begged him not to take mine. My brother Freddy was dead because of me. It has been 18 years since the crawling man first came to me and took my little brother. During these two decades I have seen my family fall apart. My mom never got over Freddy's death. And she and my dad divorced. Both my parents are dead now. Mom due to the darkness that she never got over. And dad drank himself to a slow death. Both are dead 
because of the first night that the crawling man came to me and asked me that dark question. As I've said, this wasn't the only time the crawling man appeared to me. Nine years ago, on the night my wife Sarah and I brought home our first child, he met me in the hallway of my own home. Sarah and I had married young. I was 18 and she was 20. She knew the story of my family tragedy, though I'd never confided to her the part about the, the crawling man. And she had saved me from the darkness. She took me into her life when I had no will to live, and she gave me a light in my heart that she nurtured. And when she became pregnant with our first child, she had all but completely healed me. I had learned to find joy, peace, and hope. I had learned to fight the memory of the crawling man. I was living a life worth fighting for. But on that night, nine years ago, as I stood in front of the crawling man, his malevolence was so powerful that it threatened to suck the light from my soul as if he had been some black singularity that allows no light to escape its gravity. I struggled to resist, willing myself to fight this monster and kill it once and for all. The crawling man began to whisper to me his dark question. You are her. Which shall I take? He held me in place for what seemed like hours, constantly repeating his question, compelling me to answer. When finally he asked me for the last time to choose who he would take, I glared into his soulless eyes and I whispered back to him, Please, no. Not me. After the crawling man took Sarah, the police launched an investigation. After her autopsy, the coroner declared that she had died of a heart attack due to an undetected heart condition. I was cleared of any suspicion that may have been levied against me, but I knew the truth. My cowardice again had allowed the crawling man to take someone I loved. My wife was dead because of me. I have been able to compartmentalize my grief and darkness, keep it hidden from my son since the death of his mother, but my guilt consumes me. Tonight, though, I will make sure that I never again let the crawling man hurt anyone in my family. See? I've figured it all out. I know how to stop him from terrorizing me and my family. I know how to stop him from taking loved ones from me. Tonight, he will be here in my house again. I know this because nine years ago, the night that he took my wife was the ninth anniversary of the night he took Freddie. Tonight will be the 18th anniversary of his first appearance to me. I know without a doubt he will meet me in my dark hallway and ask me to choose between myself and my son. I don't know why he appears on this nine-year cycle. I just know that if I do not end it tonight, he will continue to meet me every nine years and take someone from me all because of my cowardice. It stops tonight. I can no longer live 
in guilt and fear. I can no longer bear the pain of loss. Tonight, when he meets me in the dark, just inside a pool of moonlight, and asks me to choose, I will look directly into his ink-black eyes, and I will say, Me. Tonight, take me. Me.